0: Thank you, Haram and Juhe. Beautiful. All right. This morning we are in John chapter 16. Moving along. Finally got out of. I know we're finally out of chapter 15. Everybody's celebrating that great moment. Unless you want to go back to chapter 15, we could. (laughs) Okay. Uh, before we read, we're going to read from verses 5 to 10. Before we do that, uh, how many of you, if you were honest, would say that you're a bit jealous or envious of the disciples who really got to spend you know, three years walking and living and moving and experiencing Jesus face-to-face, person-to-person? How many would say you're jealous of that? I think we all would be. And certainly, one of the things that we look forward to is that someday... You know we will be with Jesus really physically in, in presence, uh, and um, Jesus, as we know, this this whole passage all takes place right before he's arrested, and just you can just almost feel as you go through this narrative, you can just feel the clock ticking, and just feel this uh, imminence of uh, the the cross, and. Uh, Finally, after three years plus of Jesus saying, I'm going to be, I am going to be crucified. I am going to die. The reality of this, all of a sudden, sometime between the washing of the disciples' feet and somewhere in chapter 16, the reality of this all hits. And the disciples become fully aware of this. And I'll tell you one thing I don't envy of the disciples. I do envy that they got to walk with him. I, do, I don't envy. What they experience losing Jesus? You know, the great thing for us is that we, we will never lose him. Uh, we will never experience the sense that he has been taken away from us. And uh, the disciples are, are beginning to come to grips with that loss that is before them. And so with that context, let's read uh, John chapter 16 starting in verse 5. And uh, Jesus is continuing this long narrative, we kind of jump into the middle of it. He says, "But now I am going to the one who sent me, and not one of you is asking where I am going. Instead, you grieve because of what i 've told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away, because if i don 't, the advocate won 't come. If I go away, then I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. Next we'll read on to verse 15. There is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said, the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. Now let's begin with prayer again. Uh, Lord, we just thank you for these encouraging promises that you've given to the disciples and to us That even though we can't experience you, perhaps as the disciples did, yet you've promised through your spirit to be very present with us. And Lord, we just pray that your spirit would guide us into all truth even now as we look at your word. Uh, Give us a sense, Lord, of uh, what you want to speak to us. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you are faithful to speak to us. And we pray that we would have ears to hear what you have for us this morning. We just commit this time to you now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the disciples, uh, Jesus really identifies and speaks uh, about the disciples' grief. He says that they were, at this point, it says they're, literally their hearts were full of grief. And grieving, is, as many of you know, is really coming to grips with something you're losing. And I think at this point, the reality of Jesus leaving them, and the loss that that would mean was starting to sink into them. Uh, for three years, Jesus had been more than just a detached rabbi giving lessons a few times a week. He really was uh, a mentor and guide. Uh, he had set the course for their lives for the past three years. You know, none of them had to get up in the morning and worry much about anything. They just followed Jesus, and they saw him work, they saw him move. And now the, it's starting to sink in. Jesus is is leaving. We don't understand how or what or all that means, but we're going to be left alone. And so Jesus in this next few verses, actually all the way through 16, is really trying to reassure them that he is still going to be present with them and that his leaving is necessary and is better. And uh, so the first reason he gives that we're going to look at this morning is related to the sending of the Holy Spirit. the encouraging thing for us is that while, while we did not experience what the disciples did, we did not experience the loss of Christ, uh, we do experience the benefit of the Holy Spirit. And while we envy the disciples because we, we can get the idea that we were shortchanged in this deal. Uh, have you ever felt that way? It's like, you know, if Jesus was really real, if he really loved me, if, he, if you know, he would come... I remember my first prayer, one of my first cries out to God, literally crying when I was in middle school junior high age, wanting to know if God was real, and just crying out to God to show himself to me. I said, if you're really out there somewhere, I want to see you. And I really wanted Jesus to come. Like, I just had this vision that he would walk through the door like some kind of angel. It worked for Abraham and those guys. I thought, why can't I have this physical, visible Jesus showing up? But Jesus really tells us here that there is actually something better. My title, I said, oh, Guide for the Journey. Point one, is there one better than Jesus? Well, in some ways, yes. Jesus says to them, I know you're grieving, I know you can't get past this, but the fact is, it's better for you that I go away. Because if I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and in the end, that's going to be a better thing. So the reality is, hard for it is for us to grasp. The truth is, we have something better than the physical Jesus. During this age. So let's look at what Jesus let's unpack that just a bit. Uh, Jesus says it's necessary that I must go away. Now, some people have kind of in fact a long time I thought that like there's some kind of cosmic balance of the spiritual forces that if too much of the Trinity ended up on earth at one time, it would cause it to stop spinning or something. You know, that like Jesus and the Holy Spirit couldn't both be here at the same time. And so Jesus had to leave to make room for the Holy Spirit. Well, that's not what he means. In fact Jesus makes it very clear throughout his life and ministry that his ministry was done fully by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, At his baptism, the Holy Spirit came upon him. And throughout Jesus' life, he ministered just the same way you and I do, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Even though he was God incarnate, his his humanness, that he came and became a man, required that he operate uh, and minister and serve really through the power of the Holy Spirit, just as you and I do. So it's not that you know, somehow he's going to throw off the divine cosmic balance of the universe by the Holy Spirit coming at the same time as Jesus. What he's saying here is that it's required for me to go and leave. In other words, that's Jesus' way of saying go to the cross. That the, the sending of the ministry, the sending of the Holy Spirit to minister fully required that Jesus go to the cross. From the beginning of time, you know it says that the creation, the Spirit hovered over the face of the earth. The Holy Spirit has been present throughout the Old Testament. He was with the Old Testament saints very powerfully. But His ministry in us, the special change of ministry where the Holy Spirit would, would come to us as a guide in a way that He could not before, was only made possible through the cross. And so Jesus is saying that The the ministry that I have envisioned, the the, the ministry that the Holy Spirit will be doing in your life is only possible if I go to the cross and the the resurrection and the ascension. That only as I go into God's presence to the throne of the Father can I really send the Holy Spirit in the way He was fully intended to operate in this world. And so uh, it it is a bit hard for us to wrap our our mind around this, but the reality is that the age of the Spirit, the age where the Holy Spirit is poured out and ministering in and through us is better. And it's better for a couple of reasons. First of all, it is better because of the cross. Uh, Now, the effect of the Holy Spirit has new meaning because the blood of Jesus has washed away our sin. And so it gives the, uh, the power and the effectiveness of the Holy Spirit a whole new meaning. So the Holy Spirit can do a work in us and through us, can speak to us in ways He never could before the cross. So because of what Jesus has done, we have a new access, really, to the power and effectiveness of the Holy Spirit in our life. But secondly, it's important and it's better because we live in, a, in, a, we live in the age of time and space. Okay? I want you to just think about the logistical problems if, if Jesus did not send the Holy Spirit and he decided to hang around himself instead. Okay? There's six billion people in the world. Uh... It's by any estimate, there could be, I don't know, a billion people who are believers. There's one Jesus in one body limited to time and space like you and I are. If, if we required the physical presence of Jesus to really guide and teach us and lead us, um, there's no way he could physically keep up the ministry schedule that would require, okay? For him to travel around the world and, you know, hey, we've got Jesus scheduled, you know, next Sunday. He's going to be here. Uh, it would kill him. Okay, the cross would be easy compared to that. And some of you who travel and do all this stuff and teach a lot know the the physical limitations on this body, right, of time and space. But Jesus says, I'm going to the Father, but I am sending a Spirit who can be with you all, uh, fully present, all at the same time. Because the Spirit doesn't operate in the physical world, He operates in the spiritual realm. And so He can connect and be present with us and work with us fully personally Uniquely, uh, in much the same way that Jesus did. In fact, I really believe Jesus is saying here that He is sending the Holy Spirit as His substitute. He says, "Look, I have been your guide, your teacher, your leader. I have been present with you through these last three, three years as your as your guide. Now I'm going away, and I'm sending another guide, another comforter, an advocate, the Paraclete. However you want to translate that, it's kind of hard to translate." Really, it's a substitute of everything that Jesus had been and had been doing for the disciples. And he says, I can do this now, and he can come and be present with a billion people at once, because I'm God. And in the spiritual realm of my unlimited existence, I can do that. Now, the good news is, when we get to heaven, there's no time, there's no space, it's a different dimension. And somehow, Jesus can be physically present through his body with you know billions of Christians all at once. And we all get to share him. And, you know, it's like, you can have a million years, I can have a million years, and it just kind of goes on forever without end. But for now, it makes more sense, it's more effective for the Holy Spirit to be poured out working in His church and in His body. So it is better in that sense. Now, it's not better in the sense that the Holy Spirit somehow is better than Jesus. It's better in the sense that it is Jesus in His fullness coming to us through His Spirit. And we'll see that more in a second. Uh, then... Jesus really spells out the the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And he's done this in several sections throughout John. Uh, This is not everything. But in this passage, he breaks it down into two focuses of the Holy Spirit's ministry. The first focus is toward the world. And John uses this word normally to mean those who are not followers of Christ. He doesn't mean the world in general. But he means the world who have rejected or not following Jesus. Jesus. And he says basically that that the the Spirit has a ministry to the world. And it's basically a ministry of guilt and shame. A ministry of conviction. He says, I've sent the Holy Spirit into the world to convict the world of its sin. Uh, The idea of conviction really has the idea of exposing sin with a sense of personal guilt and shame. Raising within people the sense that their life is not right before God. That there is sin. Every human being is consciously aware of sin. Uh, It's it's one of the driving forces behind all religion. Everybody knows that they sin and that they're guilty before God. And they're trying to do something to fix it. And one way to do that is through man-made religion. Uh, You do some kind of penance. You offer some kind of sacrifices. You crawl to the top of some mountains on your hands and knees. You do something to make it right. For those who have thrown off kind of formal religion, there's the the method of just blanketing guilt and and shame by uh, by by basically drugging it to death, right? Alcohol, drugs, sexual addictions, entertainment, uh, buying new things, whatever. We try to hide and run from that feeling of guilt and shame by filling our life with other things, and that's what the world does. But the world can't escape the presence of the Holy Spirit, bringing conviction and guilt and shame. Now this might sound cruel. Okay, it, might, you know, it kind of sounds like God's in heaven going, well, they're not going to follow me. I'll just make them feel miserable. Well, He does that. But He doesn't do it to torment people. Okay, It's not for the purpose of just making them miserable. It's so that they would come to repentance. It's so that they would come to know their need for Christ. Until we become fully aware of the effect of sin and the reality of sin in our life, we can never realize our need for Jesus until we really come to grips with the shame brought on by our own bad choices, the cross, and what we celebrate in communion is of very little meaning or effect. Uh, he says that the great sin, he says that he convicts the world of sin, he says he convicts the world of, uh, of its sin, and its great sin is, the ref- is, is unbelief. Unbelief. Uh, all I really believe, unbelief is the, the mother of all sins. All of the sins—murder, rape, stealing, lying, deception—are all offspring of the great sin of unbelief. People who uh, do not believe that God knows best, um, who don't trust in the goodness of God, who don't trust in the power and plan of God to give them salvation. They reject God. That's the great sin of the world. Uh, He says he convicts the world of righteousness. This is kind of confusing. And there's maybe two ways to take it. I don't know which is right or wrong, maybe both. One way is that he could be saying he's convicting the world of their man-made righteousness. That he's bringing conviction about their own attempts at righteousness. That it's futile and failing. Um, it, It. He says in verse 10 that righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Uh, I think he convicts the world and shows them that the only righteousness that will work is the righteousness of Christ. That because Jesus went to the cross because he was fully obedient, uh, it's only as we take into ourselves his righteousness that we can be fit to stand before God. Only as we're clothed in the white robes that Jesus gives us can we enter into the wedding feast of the Lamb. It says he convicts the world of, of judgment. Uh, the world is, is painfully aware that it stands at the door of judgment. And again, they don't readily embrace it. In fact, they run and hide from it. They try to fill their life with other things to escape this impending doom. But if you strip off all those layers deep down inside, every human being is aware of the reality of coming judgment. And that comes through the Holy Spirit. It is the ministering gift of the Holy Spirit to bring people to repentance. It is God's grace in this age that He's drawing people to Himself. Interestingly enough, Jesus, during His whole His whole earthly ministry, saw very little fruit. Uh, you know, He comes down to the cross. He's got 12 guys with Him. A few other disciples. You know, after the resurrection in the room, there was, what, 120 in the room after Pentecost? So... Out of all the thousands of people he taught and shared with, when it was all said and done, he ends up with 120 who could still hang with him and pray after the death and resurrection. Not real effective odds for for the greatest teacher who ever lived, okay, the God God himself. Why was he so really ineffective? Well, because he was lacking this uh, broad ministry of the Holy Spirit bringing guilt and shame, bringing conviction upon unbelievers. Uh, Bringing the light of truth upon those who he shared with. Um, The Holy Spirit, it says, does this to the world, and I believe that around the world he is doing this. Uh, I also would say that from other parts of Scriptures, to look at how the church unfolded, that, that he does this ministry of conviction largely through his church and through his followers. Uh, the good news in all this is that as you and I go out into the world proclaiming Christ, both through our life and through our, our witness, through our words, through our proclamation of the gospel, the Holy Spirit empowers that message with conviction, which is a good thing. Now, it's not it doesn't particularly make us good friends with the world, right? Uh, Jesus just got done talking about why the world hates us. Well, one of the world they hate us. One of the reasons they hate us is because we make them feel bad. I remember many years back when I was pastoring in the United States, uh, the, the group I, w- I was with really had a strong emphasis in being involved in the community. We were supposed to be kind of salt and light in the community, uh, even as pastors. And so I would do a lot of things to be out. And one of the things I did, partly for ministry, more for fun, was I was a ski instructor. And we would work on, not every day, just a couple of days a week, we'd go and uh, be ski instructors at the ski area. And uh, whenever I go places like this, I was very careful not to tell people, "Hi, I'm Reverend Tim." You know, I would, I would keep that as far out of the conversation as possible, because I, I found that there were a lot of walls that came up with that. And I had managed to make it—I don't know, a month or two—without anybody knowing who or what I was. And uh, one day I came out, and I remember people just going, Ugh! "You're a preacher? Oh my! What did I say? What have I said? Why didn't you tell us?" And you could just feel this instant guilt fall upon them. And they just felt instantly condemned, you know. And not because we said anything, because I got up and preached a message about how they're all going to hell. They knew that already, right? And in your presence, they have this sense of God's presence. And the the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes with them. And that's a good thing. It is God's mercy and grace to those people to... Warn them of the true state of their life. And so we have the the blessing, really, of of being ambassadors, being agents of the Holy Spirit that go out into this world. We represent light and truth and holiness. And oftentimes, just by our life, hopefully by our lifestyle, by our conduct, by our words, our speech, our witness, the Holy Spirit empowers those things with conviction about sin and guilt and judgment. So that they will be ready to receive the righteousness of Christ. So the, good, the, the amazing news in this for us is that we go out powerfully equipped. Okay, we don't go out just speaking our own words. We don't go out just telling the story of our own life that's just another story. The story of your life is a powerful witness of sin and righteousness and judgment. And the power of God to overcome those things. We are a light to the world. And that light is, the, is empowered and blazoned by the Holy Spirit as we go forth. Uh, he is there in us, speaking God's truth to the world. So as we proclaim Christ, uh, it has power and effect far beyond our words. Uh, you know, I've read, uh, I enjoy reading uh, biographies of these missionaries who've gone out as pioneers to the new places. And, you know, over and over again, these missionaries will tell you, we got up and we, like, said three verses of the Bible in the language, because we didn't know it, and we said it all wrong and backward, and ten people got saved. Well, it's because the Holy Spirit's in it. It's not about our effectiveness. It's not about our ability. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit who goes before us with His ministry to the world. Well, secondly, He talks about um, the ministry of the Holy Spirit to us, and I want to spend just a little more time on that because it's probably a little more relevant for us. Uh, assuming we're all followers um, of Christ. The ministry of the Spirit to us his is, is followers, his believe his children. Uh, he says to the disciples, look, there's so much more I want to tell you. Verse 12. So much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. You can't carry it now. Uh, Jesus, you can imagine He's going to the cross. He knows. He knows that the He knows. Well, just put yourself in Jesus' shoes. He knows that he's entrusting the ongoing success of his ministry to 12 guys who are absolutely clueless. Right? He's going to the cross and he's leaving, and he's leaving the whole deal to these 12 guys who don't have a clue. When Jesus says, There's so much more I would love to tell you, he is not kidding, right? He is not kidding. He is thinking, Oh my goodness, you know, what in the world? And if Jesus didn't have this sense of, what was to come, uh, you know, I'm sure he would be panicked. But he knows that it's not about Jesus leaving them everything. Because he says, I'm sending you another one, the, the Comforter of the Holy Spirit, who is going to be your guide into all truth. I'm not leaving you alone. I'm sending you a guide who will be every bit what I was to you. It will be to you everything that I have been to you for these last three years, and even more so. Because through the cross, you will now have a new capacity for understanding and for seeing truth. And so I'm sending you this guide, this teacher, this mentor, uh, this advocate. Uh, The word that he uses here is, is literally a guide. It was a word that would be used if you were to go off out into the wilderness somewhere you had never been before. And you didn't want to get lost, you would hire a guide to take you. Somebody who's been there before and who knows the lay of the land. And they would take you on this journey out into the wilderness to a place you've never been. So I'm sending you a guide who is going to walk with you hand in hand and teach and instruct and guide you into all truth. Um, So, what does that mean? Uh, what does it mean? And what does the Holy Spirit long to do and to teach and to guide us? He says, first of all, that he guides us into all truth. Uh, in fact, he says that he is the spirit of truth, and his mission, his job, is to guide us into all truth. Uh, to really understand this concept, it's easy to oversimplify this and to have some idea that, well, he's going to help us understand what the Bible teaches. Which is true. And uh, if there's parts of the Bible you don't understand, any, anybody here have things in Scripture they don't understand? Okay, you guys are all pretty smart. So for a lot of you, I know, you got it 100% figured out. But for those of us still struggling a bit, uh, it's good to know that the Holy Spirit wants to help us understand what the Bible says. That's part of it. But it goes much beyond that. Okay, being guided into all truth, what does that mean? All truth. And of all the things the Holy Spirit could do, is this really the best use of his time? I can think of a lot of things I would rather him do. Uh, this, for me, when I read this, it doesn't really grab me, guide me into all truth, like so I can pass a test or something. I would like that. I got through, actually, I got through Bible college on this promise. I would pray. Every time I took a test, I'd say, God, you created the world from nothing. I'm praying that you give me knowledge from nothing. Ex nihilo, right? Ex nihilo. Ex nihilo. I say, I haven't studied this. Just give me the, you know, just download the information, right? Uh, Is that all it is? Well, it's interesting when you, when you, uh, and you know, Jesus talks about his judgment because the ruler of this world has already been judged. Satan, the ruler of this world, has been judged. And through the power of the cross, his power has been broken. And he is being cast down. His dominion is diminishing. He's still here. He has not been bound completely yet, but his kingdom is falling and crumbling, and his power is being diminished. Well, what really is the power of Satan? What is his great weapon against us that is causing mankind to walk in unbelief? Well, I believe his weapon he's called what he's called, he's called the great deceiver, right? He's called the father of lies. The thing that has given Satan power over this world to lead it from belief in God to disbelief has been his ability to weave and spin lies and deception in the hearts of men, to twist and distort the truth so that men don't understand it. What does that look like? Well, it looks like this. Uh, When Satan came to Adam and Eve in the garden, he clouded their minds about God's character and nature. He brought doubt upon the goodness of God And he made them wonder if God was holding back something of his goodness from them. Right? And so they didn't believe God's promises or his threats. They didn't believe God's goodness and his ability to provide everything for them. And because of Satan's lies, they came up with their own plan. That's Satan's deception. Satan has since then perfected the art of lying to human beings. And by and large, we have bought it hook, line, and sinker. And, uh, and uh, I don't know about you, but for me, the number one thing that that uh, I constantly must wrestle with is this question, is God really good? Is His goodness really aimed at me? And is He able and willing to carry out His good plans in my life? And uh, Satan is constantly saying, you know, oh, God's forgotten you. I know he promised to take care of all your needs, but, you know, he's busy right now and he's forgotten your needs or uh, whatever other lies Satan puts in. So that instead of trusting God, I do what Adam and Eve did, I do what Abraham did, I do what a lot of examples in the Old Testament. They take matters into their own hands. We come up with our own plan and our own solution and our own method and our own means because we don't really believe God's going to take care of it, right? And so that is Satan's power over this world. Uh, and to the world, he's convinced them that God does not exist, and if he does, he's not a good God, right? I hear this all the time. You talk to people about God, and the first question they'll say is, well, if God is so good, you know, why are there tsunamis and earthquakes and plane crashes and all this evil? Why is there so much evil in the world if God is good? And that's Satan's lies. Okay, that's a good question. I'm not saying we shouldn't have good answers for it. But behind that are the lies and deceptions of Satan. Twisting people's minds. Twisting the image and picture of God into something wicked and evil and tyrannical. A God who's up there with a the big club trying to smack people and judge people. Okay, uh, Satan takes every truth, every promise of God, and he twists it into a half-truth And a distorted picture of truth. So that in the end, people are convinced God is not reliable. He can't be trusted. And we've got to take matters into our own hands. Uh, It is the lies of Satan that fuels our selfishness and pride. Our pride likes Satan's lies. Satan's lies tell you what every good advertiser tells you. You deserve a break today. right? Have it your way. Uh, what somebody it 's been too long since i 've watched good TV like six years so i 'm out of the commercial loop you know but uh, that 's what 's behind advertising. You deserve it, and the only way you 're going to get it is if you do it yourself because god 's not going to take care of you. So what does it mean then for the Holy Spirit to be guiding us into all truth well it 's the opposite of that it 's us coming to the full complete knowledge. The perfection of who God is. Is God really good? Is God really good? Is He kind of good? Is God sometimes good and sometimes, you know, kind of ticked off? Well, the Holy Spirit wants us to know fully and to reveal to us fully the true and perfect character and nature of God. Not just as content or information, not just as some doctrinal statement that may be perfectly true, but which we really have no no grasp of. Uh, He wants us to know it fully and completely and deeply. Here's a question. Did the Holy Spirit, did he or does he, tell us anything that Jesus had not already said? I don't really believe so. I mean, not in the context of what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is talking about all the things that he wanted to teach the disciples. Does he mean here that, you know, he got halfway through the book, he got up to chapter 5, but he didn't get to go through chapters 6 through 10, so the Holy Spirit's going to come and give new information that Jesus hadn't covered already? I don't think so. In fact, um, if, you, if you go down that path, you end up with things like Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses and all these other religions that have new revelation, okay? Jesus covered it all. They just didn't get it, Okay? They got the surface of it, but they didn't get it deeply. And mostly what the Holy Spirit is about is taking those great truths that God loves you, that God is good, that His love is never-ending, that He will not fail you or forsake you, and taking those things deeper and deeper into our lives so that we really walk in the truth of those things, that they are true and real and absolutely reliable. Because in my life, those are the things I know in my head, but I don't always believe so well. I know it's a truth, but it's not the truth I live in, moment by moment. And so the Holy Spirit keeps driving deeper and deeper into our hearts and minds those truths. Um, he He says, He will not speak on His own, but He will tell you what He has heard. He will tell you about the future. We'll come back to that one. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever He receives from me, all that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. Uh, the Holy Spirit doesn't make... In other words, Jesus says the Holy Spirit's not making up new things. The Holy Spirit's not uh, writing his own script or curriculum here. He's simply giving you what he's received from me. And I got my information from the Father. In other words, he's, he is guiding us into truth. He's guiding us into the very heart and mind of Christ. That's what he's saying there. He says that God, the Father, and God, the Son, are having this great conversation in heaven. And they're exchanging their purposes and plans and will and talking about how God wants to unfold his goodness in the world. And all that passes between the Father and the Son, Jesus hands on to the Holy Spirit. And he gets on his little bicycle and he runs from heaven all the way to us. And he gets up and he tells us everything he hears. Really fast bicycle, by the way. Okay, uh, He's kind of like our permanent internet connection to the very throne room of God. Communicating the heart and mind of God to us. Do you want to know what God is thinking right now? Would you like to know what God's heart is towards you right now? Or to the world, or to your family? Would you like to know what God thinks about your ministry? What you are working on? How many of you would like to know what God thinks about what you're worried about? (laughs) Right? All of us would. That That information is accessible to us. Jesus promises here, in no uncertain terms, that that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit, to bring to us, announce to us, literally announce, or to report to us this exchange of thought and heart between God the Father and God the Son. And it's interesting, he uses the word there to announce or to report. It is a spoken message. Okay, The Holy Spirit is speaking to us. Uh, the heart and mind of God. Now, of course, you know, he can do that in many forms. Most of the time, it's not an audible voice. It can be. Uh, more often, the means that the Spirit uses, it says, it says that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit. He speaks to our spirit. He speaks to the spiritual part of our being. How does he do that? Well, Jesus doesn't answer that here. But I would say, it would make sense to me, that the Holy Spirit would talk to us a lot like Jesus talks to us. Uh, How did Jesus talk to his disciples? How did Jesus talk to them? Well, he talked to them verbally. But but what, what tools did he use when he spoke to them? One at a time. people. <laughs> he, he used his word, right? He, he he quoted scripture. He used the Bible throughout the Gospels. You see Jesus constantly quoting scripture and expounding it. I think the Holy Spirit speaks to us through the Word of God. What else? How else did Jesus teach us? Stories. Yeah, Jesus was great at telling stories. that didn't come from the Bible. This kind of well, this may kind of freak some people out. You know, you can pray about this or whatever. But I believe. The Holy Spirit can speak to us through all kinds of stories, stories of other believers, stories of like dead people who wrote fun biographies. I believe, story. I believe He can talk to us through fiction. Most of the stories Jesus told were fiction. He made it up, and the Holy Spirit used it to speak truth. I think you know. I've. You may think I'm weird, but I've sat in movies, uh, totally secular movies, like where they kill people and all kinds of stuff. You know, and maybe I shouldn't have been watching, and. In the middle of the movie, something happens, and I feel the piercing air of the Holy Spirit speaking to me through that. Saying, Tim, you need to pay attention to this. There's truth in this for you that I have for you. Okay, The Holy Spirit can speak through many means. Uh, Jesus spoke through object lessons, through nature, and through real life. Uh, The Holy Spirit can do that. He can speak to us through object lessons, through things we've seen. Uh, The writer of Proverbs says, Go to the ant, thou sluggard. You know, go to the end and learn something. We can learn things from ants and bugs and, and critters, and I don't really like studying critters. Yeah, let's go to fuzzy little kittens. I like that better, right? Uh, as long as they don't live in my house. <laughs> uh, there, there are lessons in nature. There are lessons in life. Okay, I don't know how the Holy Spirit speaks to us, but He speaks. Okay, he speaks messages of truth. Okay, it's not some kind of vague, ambiguous thing. The Holy Spirit wants to communicate to you the very heart and mind of God. All right? Some people will say, well, how do you know it's the Holy Spirit speaking? Well, I'll tell you what, when it's revealing the heart and mind of God, when He's unfolding the character and nature of God, you can be sure it's the Holy Spirit. I don't make that stuff up on my own. Maybe you do. Maybe in your mind, you just come up with these great, uh, huge thoughts about God. I don't, usually. I know those are the Holy Spirit speaking the heart and mind of, of God to me. Okay, when He puts a burden... On us and shows us the heart of God for lost and suffering people. It's not my nature to care about lost and suffering people. That's God speaking. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to me, the heart and mind of God. Uh, First and foremost, that's what the Holy Spirit does. In fact, He says that that through this, uh, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will bring glory to me. It is the mission and ministry of the Holy Spirit to glorify Jesus. Um, Now, that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit doesn't glorify God the Father, okay? Jesus came to this earth and He said, My mission is to bring glory to the Father. Uh, And it's the mission of the Holy Spirit to bring glory to the Son. Jesus said, I came to this earth to reveal to you the Father. If you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. So, it's a direct line through the Holy Spirit, through the Son to the Father, revealing the character and nature of God. And through that, He is glorified. Okay? What that means is to walk to be guided into the truth, is to come to a place where we sense deeper and deeper the awe and wonder and majesty of God. Um, the sad thing is that for too many of us, for me anyway, there's this huge disconnect between truth and the awe, wonder, and majesty of God. Okay? That's because my idea of truth is so small. But if we really understood fully and perfectly the truth about who God is, not the little truth, but the big truth, and we really grasped it, there ought to be with that an incredible sense of awe and even fear and wonder. Right? Uh, you, know, you can look from a distance at a great high peak. And it's, it's pretty, it's beautiful, but it's not terrifying. As you know, I love to climb mountains, and I remember one time there was this mountain that I, for many years, had been wanting to climb. I'd heard a lot about this mountain, and uh, the main things I heard about it was how many people died trying to climb it. And I thought I can climb it. No, no problem. I'm I'm better than all of them. I can do this. And I wanted to climb this mountain. I remember the first time I was in that region, and I climbed a peak next to it. And I looked down on this on this mountain, and up close and personal, it just it. I almost. I just broke out into a cold sweat. It was so terrifying. And I just could picture myself climbing this mountain, which I did actually eventually climb it. But uh, just seeing this chunk of rock, sheer drop-offs on every side, just shend fear into me. And you know, that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. He wants us to bring us, not to see God from a distance where it's all safe and pretty and, and kind of innocuous. He wants us to bring us up close where we grasp the, the awe and terror of this God who is loving and powerful and huge and who is whose truth is beyond what we can explain or comprehend. The sense of knowing Him. The Apostle Paul wrote, uh, All things I have counted as loss for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. So that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. To guide us closer and closer to the place where we know Christ more intimately, more deeply. And through that, as he reveals the character and splendor and nature of the Father. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And through that, he brings glory to Jesus. He brings glory to the Father. Uh, let's go back to this phrase. He will tell you about the future. Um, interesting phrase. And I think this is it's important to to really think through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. For me, what I really want the Holy Spirit to be is kind of my personal fortune teller. And I think a lot of times in in Christian circles, it's really easy to reduce the Holy Spirit to this role. And we, we love this verse. He will tell us about the future. And we're convinced that the future he's talking about there is my future. And that his job is to be my personal crystal ball. And, uh, you know, we want to know God's will. We want to do the right thing. And we kind of get this very small picture of the Holy Spirit being our personal medium. And anytime time we got a little question, a big kind of a decision coming up, we go, we consult the crystal ball, and he, you know, that little magic shaker ball thing, you know, you shake it around and it says, you know, should I go to the party? The little thing floats up. No. Maybe. You know, it's like that's the Holy Spirit, right? Um what does he mean there when he says he will guide us into? Literally, it says he will, he will show us, he will tell us the things of the future. You tell us about the future things, about the things to come. That's it. He will tell us about the things to come. Um, what does that mean? Um, first of all, what does it tell us about ourselves? And, and this is for me. This is for me. When I read this verse, the first thing I think about. I thought, well, you know, Jesus, I don't think you do, or Holy Spirit, I don't think you do a very good job telling me about my future. There's a lot of time you've left me in the dark about my future, right? I thought about that. I thought, why is it that my main concern is my future, right? The problem with this mentality is that it's very me-focused. How often do we read Scripture only for what it tells me about me? You know, how much do we use God? Do we use the Holy Spirit just to tell me about me? Well, it's not what it says. Okay, He doesn't say that the Holy Spirit will come to tell you about you and about your little path through this world. Okay. Uh, Jesus is talking here about the Holy Spirit revealing the heart and mind of God, about bringing us to a place where we are confronted with Jesus who reveals the full glory and splendor and majesty of the Father. Compare that with our little future. Okay? That's not that God's not concerned about our little future. We'll get to that. He is concerned about your little future. But I don't think we realize how small our little future is. Right? I, just, somebody, I don't remember who told me this, but somebody said something about one of the problems is that we make ourselves too big and by doing so we make God too small. The Holy Spirit's not about that. He is about making us making God much greater, which will in effect make us much smaller. Which in the end should actually be a comforting thing. Okay? The world does not rest on your shoulders, okay? It rests on God's. Um, the things to come speaks first and foremost about God unfolding his plan in the world. If God's revealing his heart and mind, he's revealing the future about his doing in this universe. Uh, that first and foremost is what the Holy Spirit reveals to us. What is God's heart for the world? Well, that He's going to redeem it. That He's going to send out an army of people around the world to bring the gospel to every tribe and tongue. That, you know, we're here in this foreign country in a strange place because God is going to save people here. Because He wants to bring conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment to places like Thailand and Burma and China. And wherever, right? That is God's plan. Um, he is unfolding uh, His future things, and He's revealing those things to us. And I believe sometimes He does that very specifically, but He always does it in terms of His will. Uh, how often do we say this? How, how often do you say, you don't have to raise your hand, but think about this, how, have you ever said, I want to know God's will for my life? Or I want to know God's will for my life. Right? We kind of get this picture that God's up in heaven writing scripts. And he has, you know, he, he's writing a script. We're the star of the play. And uh, and we want to know what the next line is in the script for our little play that we're the star of, right? Right? Or is God's will his story for the universe, for the world? And we have and we get to have a line. You know, we just want to know what our line is. right? But His will is much bigger than all that. I think that's what He's talking about, revealing to us the things to come, the things that God is unfolding as He brings redemption. Uh, and the cool thing is, He does invite us to be a part of it. Does this mean that we're so small that we're not important to God? Well, absolutely not. The amazing thing is, even though we're so small, God cares deeply about us. The truth is, he's very interested in us. Uh, Certainly, along with this, it's true that God does reveal sometimes specific things about our future. I've experienced this more than once, but I remember the day when God showed me the future when I was living in Colorado, and showed me the future that I would be living in Thailand. I didn't actually like the thought, and I closed that book. I, I, I closed the curtain on that vision. But God spoke that to me, and, and He made that very clear. And eventually, I listened, and I got here. But He will do that, right? He will do that. But we never want to reduce the Holy Spirit to kind of some spiritual GPS thing. Do you know what a GPS thing is? When I was in Seattle, Bill, who's here visiting, loaned me his car, and I didn't. I mean, Seattle's confusing to me. And he gave me his car. It's got this nifty little thing that tells you where to go. And you just push in this map and you say where you want to go and you just start driving and it says, turn left in you know, 200 yards. And it just it tells you where to go. Uh, there's a danger of making the Holy Spirit like that. That we just become a remote control car and we just go through life and every, at every turn we just say, okay, Holy Spirit, tell me what to do next. All right? That's not... God's bigger than that. And, and the reality is, He has more respect for you and I than that. Let me just close with this thought of how He is our guide for life. What this all means. Um, it It is the purpose and mission of the Holy Spirit to download into you and I the very heart and mind of God. That's what Jesus is saying here, I believe. That He wants to so guide us into truth that we are filled... And transformed so that we possess the very heart and mind of God. We really think the thoughts of God. Because we've been so transformed. Like Romans says, by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. so So that you know what the will of God is. You just know it. He wants to so put into us His thoughts and His heart. His feeling about the world. That we possess, as Corinthians says, we possess the mind of Christ. That's the first part of it, is to download, to be receiving constantly through His Word, through these messages He's giving us, who God is and what His heart is. Um, Then, as we go through life and we come to decisions, day by day, we, we want to know, and it's good, we ought to know, God, what am I supposed to be doing? Am I supposed to be in Thailand? Am I supposed to be ministering here, serving there? Am I supposed to be spending money here? Uh, I don't have it. Am I supposed to spend it anyway? You know, uh, all those questions. Um, it's very tempting to say, oh, "God, you know, you've downloaded this information. Now download the GPS map and just steer me." Right? There's a part of us that wants that, but that's not. That's not what God wants. I really believe that God has put His heart and mind to us so that we will, of our own will and choice, choose the right thing. Right? We will just know what the right thing is because we know the thoughts of God. And we can understand what would be the right thing to do day by day. We pray, we seek. At times God does give specific leading. But in my life, more often than not, He leaves the door pretty wide open. You know, He hasn't given me those visions like that nearly often enough, right? But He shows me His heart that, that He wants to bring redemption to the world. So if I'm trying to do things to bring Christ to the world, do I have to ever wonder if it's the right thing? Well, I don't think so. God will, as you step, He will guide and lead and direct because you have the heart and thoughts of God. So we don't have to play this kind of magic crystal ball thing with the Holy Spirit. Um, The Holy Spirit's bigger than that. God is bigger than that. And you and I are bigger than that. You know, with our children, it would be very tempting to Rig them with a remote control device, right? Every parent would love to be able to do this, uh, where you know you just push the right buttons and they instantly do what they're supposed to. Thankfully, God did not program them that way, and we don't have that option. Uh, We would love to put remote controls on them by controlling their life, Um, but it doesn't work. I don't know if you figured this out yet, but when a kid's about six months old, they're already out of control. Right? There's a lot of things you just can't make them do. Like, stop crying. Right? They just will do it. You can't make them stop. There's no off switch. Right? Sad. Right? Um, so you've got to take another approach. Well, what's the approach we take? Well, God wants us to teach our children so that they're out in the world when they're six, seven, eight years old, when they're at school, they start making right decisions on their own without a switch without a remote control. We download into them our heart and mind about what's good and bad and right and wrong, what's the smart thing to do. So someday they grow up and they become a young adult and they know what the right thing is. And they know how to do life because we have, in a sense, programmed them with our heart, our thoughts, uh, with God's thoughts. That's really God's heart for us. That we would just know the heart of God know how to walk in it. Let's pray. Father, we really do just stand continually amazed at Your grace and Your love for us. First, that You would send Your Son to die for us. To be our friend who would lay down His life. Giving Yourself to us. And as if if that was not enough, beyond that, you've given your Spirit to us. You have sent to us personally and filled each of us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray for a greater filling. Lord, we know that each of us have this Spirit in us. But Father, uh, the question we need to ask is if we're really listening, if we're really yielding our lives to this Spirit, allowing Him to have fullness, full reign in our life to guide us and teach us, to fill us with the heart and mind of Christ? Are we hungry to know the truth? Are we hungry to have the Holy Spirit teach us? Are we being obedient to those things He has spoken to us? Lord, we pray that You would fill us with Your Spirit. That we would be empowered by truth and by power, by your, your promises to bring healing and to bring redemption, to bring salvation. Father, we pray that you would do that work in us. Lord, we thank you so much for your promises. And we know that you are faithful to keep every promise. So we rest in that and give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.